In this episode of the OIS Podcast, we get to hear another panel discussion from the last OIS at AAO meeting in San Francisco. Emmett Cunningham led a great discussion about innovating around the globe with two international venture capitalists and three industry executives from Alcon, Santin, and Novartis. Let's hear how it went. So from time to time, year to year, one of the pieces of feedback that either Bill or I get is that this is a great meeting, but it's very U.S. focused, and we don't really hear enough from our colleagues and friends in Europe or in Asia or in South America or around the world. And so we thought, let's invite some of our friends who either oversee or are from those places and start to talk about how they think about innovation and the industry and products and product innovation, development, commercialization around the world, because we all have to think about that in increasingly large proportions of our businesses. So to start off, I'm going to have, we'll start with Giovanni. I'm going to say who you are, where you are, what you do, and uh, the extent to which you are interested in XUS activities related to what you do. So hi, everyone. Um, Pleasure to be here. Giovanni Morigi, partner at Medici. Uh, We're a venture capital firm based in Europe, London, and Geneva more specifically. Um, And we uh, are probably one of the European funds and and even also thinking about the US that are really most focused on on products. Um, You know, even thinking about product visions um, at the idea stage. Um, Medici itself is only three years old. Uh, It was formed by the spin-off of the biotech team from Index Ventures. Um, and has since raised almost a billion uh, dollars worth of funds, the latest one having been raised this summer, 400 million euros, so from anything from an idea to uh, financing phase threes. Um, and really, our focus on products has, has been born out of uh, you know, the necessity for us as investors also to change our ways, uh, uh, seeing how our environment has changed. Um, and we had really found that Platform companies, at least in our eyes, were not working out as investor, uh, you know, as investments, uh, as well as focusing on products. And ultimately, that's what our customers, which either end up being uh, pharmaceutical companies or the market, are really looking for. That um, maybe one point to note is that in our funds, we we do have uh, four corporate investors on top of the usual institutionals, so GSK, J&J, Novartis, and Verily. Are, have invested in our funds, and these are, um, you know, large, larger sums than the usual single-digit millions that sometimes farmers do, um, and that has really been to align themselves with our product focus, um, which very often is, is exhibited in a company as a very virtual company focusing on a single asset. Um, in terms of how we look uh, at the investment world, XUS. Um, we do have a focus in Europe, of course, because of our geographical perspective. Um, but for us, always the important thing is you, know, you can place a company wherever you want. Uh, that, that nowadays, I think, is, is the easy part. Uh, for us, the important thing is to source uh, the IP, the idea, the entrepreneur, wherever they may be. Um, even within Europe, there are areas that are quite well served, like the UK, Benelux, uh, France, the Nordics. Uh, but you know, we'll go as far as getting IP from a Croatian research institute or um, you know, we have uh, in the past and, and currently uh, collaborating with academics as far as Australia and, and trying to make that work, right? And for us, as I said, the company can be placed 
wherever is the place that makes sense, whether it's close to us in the UK or in the US or, or wherever. Do you invest in Asia or South America? So we have not done an investment in, in Asia yet, so it's a market that we can't ignore. We have taken assets from Japan, so we, we have done a, f a number of asset spin-outs from companies there. Um, South America is an area that I think we've probably never set foot as an investor yet. Okay. Navi. Yes, sir. So I am uh, Navi Chams. I'm the head of global R&D and the chief science officer for Santel Group. Um, and to answer your question specifically, um, as some of you, at least maybe most of you would know, that uh, Santan is a major player uh, outside of the US as of today. And you may also have heard that we are pr going to land in the US, uh, hopefully next year sometimes, uh, with uh, a device of all things. We are a, a traditionally a biopharmaceutical company and yet we are going to come to the U.S. first with a, uh, by, uh, with a device uh, to manage glaucoma. And that's, it's a long story and maybe another topic, but um, uh, we do uh, focus a lot in Asia, uh, China, Southeast Asia, of course Japan. Uh, we have about, at this point, about 47, 48% of the market. So. We have to stay competitive in that area, so we do investments and we look for partners in that area as well. Uh, and we continue to do that. Um, we are growing in Asia and China at a very fast clip, uh, almost 20, 30% year over year for several years now. Uh, and so the rest of the world is very important to Santan. I will say that we do not have uh, uh, activities in, in uh, Latin America, uh, but the rest of it, uh, we are very active. Laurent. Hi, Laurent Atias. I head up uh, corporate uh, development strategy at Alcon, which includes um, BDNL and M&A. Um, I think to answer your question, um, Alcon benefits from having a global footprint, obviously, and, um, and we, we, we look for innovation, um, not really in, in any kind of regions, but really more about uh, uh, where the source of innovation might be. Uh, as I think about uh, your question, I was thinking about it. this year alone, actually, I, I can tell you that we we have investments in Europe. We have investments in, um, in Asia, also on the uh, U.S. side. So I, I think we're a bit agnostic to, to, to the region, realizing that there's different opportunities for different disease states or technologies in various regions, regions which might guide and influence that. Um, I don't know that we go for a particular mix right, in that. We, we, we really don't. But um, we, uh, you know, the other thing too is interesting is a lot of the companies that you would say start off in the United States, a lot of times do their clinicals and their work sometimes outside. So you, you may actually get a, a better view of, of some of the uh, insights on the technology by, by, uh, by spending more time outside the United States. So, uh, so I think, uh, I don't know that we have a balanced mix, but we were not trying to guide to a particular mix, but more follow the, the opportunity for the disease or technology, and then we'll, we'll, we'll play our, play, place our bets accordingly. Good. Michael? Uh, great to see you here. Uh, my name is Michael Keong, Managing Director, Head of North America for CBC Group, formerly known as Seabridge Capital. We're a healthcare investment firm. Uh, we're five years old. We spun out of uh, funding from Tomasic, so our headquarters in Singapore. Uh, in the last five years, uh, we now manage over $2 billion. We recently raised a fund, $852 million, where a third of the capital came from Asia, but a third came from U.S. 
that came from Europe and Middle East. And uh, we have 60 people in our firm, and we have four offices in Asia, Singapore, Hong Kong, Shanghai, and Beijing. We are pretty much of a big player in, in Asia. In US, we are new entrants, so you probably don't know us. But certainly, we are focused on therapeutics, medical devices, as well as hospital services. Uh, that being said, in Asia, we certainly have backed uh, leading companies in biopharma who are listed in Hong Kong Exchange as well as uh, in Shanghai Exchange and Shenzhen. We own hospitals as well as medical device companies uh, in that part of the world where we do invest between 50 to 150 million dollar check sizes for sure, uh, and we control most of our companies. <clears throat> that being said, we have done a lot of partnerships, partly because I do believe innovation sits outside of China, uh, especially outside of uh, the major Asian regions outside of Japan as well. So certainly we've done a lot of partnerships with other European companies, including in this last two years alone, we've done over 15 partnerships, including uh, Swedish company, German company, obviously many companies here in the US, including the Bay Area. And we did a partnership most recently with Samsung Biepis, which is a leader in biosimilars. We are helping them enter the China market. Um, but obviously, we also recently done investments here in the U.S., and we could talk about that a little bit later, uh, including a company called Graybug Vision, which we are excited about. Um, before we go to you, Jahan, I just want to make an extra point, because I, I often share deals with Giovanni and with Michael, but you do different things. You're venture capitalists, but in different flavors. Um, if I may summarize, you're sort of traditional venture, a little more global footprint, but you take companies to exit, which is either a public offering or an acquisition and most of your stuff comes out of Europe in the US. Fair enough? Whereas Michael, you're, you're doing a little later stage stuff, you're looking for products, you wanna get them approved, and you're equally interested in China approvals and US approvals. So I think many of us understand what Giovanni and I have done historically, but this is a little different. So explain that so that people have the context as we go forward. So in terms of where we see innovation is what we go after. Certainly we're looking for typical clinical stage assets that could be best in class or potentially first in class if it's disruptive enough with significant commercial opportunity. And where we come in is certainly, you know, we do believe diseases have no borders and there is a lot of opportunity to help the companies go beyond the U.S., typical U.S. and European markets. So when we help the companies that we invest and partner with think about uh, entrance to different market earlier than later. Typically speaking, you have U.S. approval and maybe U.S. company gets bought by Big Pharma and the Big Pharma will take it to the rest of the world. But what we like to do and offer to our biotech companies that we invest in or partner with is to help them think about entering different markets. For example, it could be Japan, but we are really good at how we enter the China market, so we help the US company or European company think about getting a China approval same time. And part of the reason is there's been regulatory changes in China that are allowing um, global trial to include China at the same time in phase three, and you could get a simultaneous approval with US and China as an example. So there's a lot more of our education that we like to do with a lot of US companies as well as European companies. And how do we help them think through ex market expansion just beyond the typical US and Europe? Partly because as you know, I've been a US venture capitalist before as well. Obviously we only give the capital to US companies to focus on US market because that is the most important. Sometimes we say, think about the European market. And we always say, Japan, partner maybe a company like Santi. But what no one has actually talked about the other markets. And this is part that maybe because you know, our firm as well as myself have played in Asia as well as here in the US, we could really help our companies expand today and create new value, new MPV 
Because all of a sudden, you could go beyond from one country, which is U.S., to become a global player by thinking about entering the second largest market, which is China. So we're going to come back to that. It's an important theme of this. And the basic question is, when do you do it? I think everybody wants to be global and in as many markets as possible. Your premise is do it when you're small. It's not that expensive. With guidance, you can do it and create a lot of more accelerated NPV. I want to ask the big, big folks on the panel whether they like that you do that because they think they do it better probably and would rather do it themselves. But maybe I'm speaking out of turn. We'll come back to that. Jahan, tell us about yourself. And, and if you like, you can answer the question at the end of the <laughs> Um, I'm Jahan Tambuel. I'm the, uh, the head of new products for ophthalmology at, uh, at Novartis. Thank you for, for having us on the panel. Um, you know, for us, great science has no borders, and we really look for science wherever it has its genesis, be it in Australia, be it in China, be it in uh, the U.S., be it in Europe. Um, you know, if I might put in a plug, I think, uh, you know, Beoview was approved on Tuesday. The roots of Beoview are actually not in the U.S. It's from Esbatec, which was a European company. So, you know, our, one of our biggest launches is out of a company that came out of Europe. So I think we, too, benefit from a global footprint. Uh, we, we look at opportunities globally, and we look at science globally. I don't think we put up artificial barriers. Um, you know, at at uh, the OIS meeting uh, this time, uh, over the next couple of days, we'll probably be meeting a good uh, two dozen companies from all over the world. So, you know, we don't, we don't put barriers up. Okay. I'd like to touch, if we, if we have time, we'll touch in turn on sort of innovation, its earliest creation, where it's coming from, development. We talked a little bit about it. Should it be in the U.S., U.S., Europe, or more global early? Commercialization. And then where you see the future. I mean, I have a slide in one of my talks where the GDP of China passes the U.S. at some point. It's 2040, 2050, pick your number. But, um, and they're very innovative in Asia, super innovative. So when do they become the center of innovation? We'll come back to that at the very end. But let's start with the fact that in China, there are an order of magnitude more STEM scientists trained than there are in the United States. It's just a commitment, an interest, it's happening. So. Where are you seeing the best science being done now and, and, and early company creation being done now? And will that change over the next five years? What, what's your prediction of the trend as you look at it? Um, maybe we'll start with Laurent. Um, well, in the, in, the, in the scope of Alcon today, it's, it's going to be into um, medical devices for ophthalmology and, and um, contact lens. And, and so I, th I would say that... Um, when it comes to medical devices for ophthalmology, I, I think that um, it'd be fair to say that most of that innovation resides potentially in the U.S. and maybe some Europe, uh, less so in Asia. Um, that 90 percent, you think? 80 percent? Probably yeah. very high. Okay. Yeah, probably very high. When, when it comes to the contact lens side, actually, uh, then uh, Asia plays a bigger role, um, including some segments that are maybe underserved in the United States, um, more towards the cosmetic sides and things where it's a, a large portion of the, uh, of the offerings in Asia. 
So a lot of a lot of great innovation there when it comes uh, to contact lenses. Also, you 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 may see some innovation that are tied to disease prevalence as well in um, in 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 certain regions. Uh, myopia comes to mind, and in, in some of the contact lenses approaches that you see in, in in Asia because of the management of myopia. So I think the disease prevalence also may may guide a little bit where that genesis of the innovation might reside. Um, but uh, at least in the um, in the core business of Alcon today, in the um, for the OR and the ophthalm ophthalmic medical device, seems to still largely be a U.S. and Europe. And if it's sort of 90, let's say 80, 10 U.S., Europe, and the rest is Asia or rest of the world, where do you think it is in 10 years that mix, or 10 or 20, um, in the device side? Yeah, I, th I think probably certainly a, a, an increased balance with um, Europe and in, in, in United States. I think that. Um, when it comes to um, Asia on the medical device, certainly it's going to increase as well. But um, I think that Asia has such a stratification of segments. Um, you're going to see maybe catering to uh, a certain maybe segment for wider adoption by wider populations, which tends to have a potentially a, a different different price point, different feature set, maybe less of a what we would call a premium product, not just in price, but in terms of uh, of uh, a feature and, 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 um, and benefits. So I think that um, it may lead to actually a growth into moving into other upper segments and therefore focusing on products that might be more sophisticated maybe. But I think that there's such an opportunity there that continues to be had on catering to a wider population. It kind of guides also the innovation towards that segments of products as well. So that's why that there's a bit of a hold back or a delay in, in Asia coming to uh, bigger play when it comes to medical devices. So, John, I'm going to let you take the drug side of that. I would, I would think that there'd be, that devices would move into the XUS faster than drugs, but I don't know. You tell me. What, what are your numbers and what are, what are the trends? I think the trends that we're seeing is that, you know, there's a lot of uh, sort of region-specific activity. I mean, myopia you mentioned. I think, you know, you have also the pharmacotherapeutic push into myopia. And I think some of the great work being done by the Singapore Eye Research Institute, you know, is, is, is world class. There's a lot of innovation coming in sort of specific indications, specific diseases that are unique to that part of the world. Um, I would say in terms of overall innovation, I think there is a lot more stuff that we will start to see emerge out of Asia. We just frankly haven't seen a lot of it just yet. Uh, I mean, there are other things to consider, obviously, when it comes to IP and other things. We want to make sure that whatever is coming through, you know, obviously meets um, the same standards we would put on it for the U.S., same standards we'd put on it for stuff coming out of Europe. And I think a lot of that is, is being harmonized, and I think that's a good thing. I think in the, next, um, in the next 10 years, I would hope to say that we would see a lot more uh, innovation on pharmacotherapeutics coming out of Asia. China, Japan, both? Uh, Japan has always been there. Japan has always been a leader in the space. I think we, we would see a lot more coming out of China. We'd also see a lot more coming out of uh, countries such as Singapore. Okay. So, Michael, you and I are aligned on this. I'll turn to development. I, I'm a big believer in creating the NPV early if you have great teams and you can trust those teams and you can get solid approvals for good drugs. Um, but give, if you're talking to the startup companies, give that pitch to them. Why should they partner with you not only to finance U.S. and maybe EU development, but China development and early, as opposed to a regional partnership or waiting for Novartis to buy the company and do it three years later? 
Right. No, thanks for the question. I think it's an important question. If you think about the commercial opportunity, obviously, U.S. is the largest pharmaceutical market, and we know China is the second largest pharmaceutical market, and still 10% of the global market. But that being said, within the next 10 years, a trillion dollar per year drug sales is going to be added every year. So if you think of the market opportunity, it's significant. Only 6% of GDP in China is still spent in China. In pharmaceuticals, partly because traditional Chinese medicine that's 5,000 years old hasn't worked. Generics, they say it doesn't really extend lives. They finally got to the point where they want innovative drugs. So the middle class could afford it. There's a lot of big support for it. Regulation changed so that you could really bring innovative drugs. Before, Novartis and other places had to get drug approved, and then you have to do the phase one, two, three all over again. So nobody really focused on China market from a commercial perspective because they had to have the originator in the country they originated the science from approved first before they could launch in China. So meaning if it was U.S., you have to do it 10 years later. But now that regulation changed and they really are asking the innovators to come to China market. Last year there was a list of 53 rare disease drugs. The government said, please bring this to China. We will exempt clinical trial. You could launch tomorrow. That included a lot of the rare disease drugs as two, three hundred thousand per year treatment. So there was a wish list. So, so certainly there's a big ask, and regulation is in our favor, hence the opportunity. And what we would say to the U.S. and European as well as Japanese company to help them get to the China market is, if you have the right team members, which we have from our portfolio company, the right clinical development and regulatory expertise, they're all trained from Novartis and the well-known big pharmaceuticals of China. They know how to develop innovative drugs, but they sit in the biotech. And certainly, as we know, in biotech, they know how to develop the innovative drug faster than big pharma. And our counterpart in China is the biotech company. So biotech to biotech, they understand the same lingo. So we ask and we say, if we do the clinical trial with you in phase three, and we only contribute 15% of the patients, we could get the drug approved same time as you. So meaning you have to do, say, 300 patient trial, or times two, if it's a what AMD. If you contribute um, 45 from each of the trial, 90 patients in China, when you do your global trial, we could get that approved for you in China, and we'll pay for it. And we'll pay for the upfront pay payment milestone and royalties. So that allows a US-centric company to recruit patients in China. And there are so many naive patients in China. You talk about checkpoint interviews in oncology. They just got approved last year. There's all, all the patients in oncology and checkpoint naive. Lucentis from Novartis, last year they only had $100 million sales in China. They're expecting about $200 million. Finally, they're underdiagnosed and undertreated. Now they're finally reimbursing, so they're not going to get treated. But that being said, in China, they're only reimbursing four injections, the government. So there is a huge unmet need in terms of pricing and support. But that being said, they're dying for innovation because patients are dying there, and there's so, a big support. So let me, let me have the, the strategics weigh in. And Do you think that's a good idea? Do you want these small companies to seek approval in Asian territories, or would you rather they either do a regional license with you or wait until you you come in and do it yourself later. Would you give up the NPV to be able to do it yourself, and why, if so? I think as a global company, for us, I think we obviously have a preference for a, uh, a global product. I think having sort of selected uh, countries pulled out creates some issues later on once the product is commercialized. I think that becomes less attractive for us. I mean, to be, to be perfectly honest, I mean, we are 
we love China. I mean, we are looking at adapting our clinical programs to get there earlier, using exactly the innovation that's coming through from uh, the Chinese government. Well, let me ask it a different way. If, my, if Michael does a partnership with my company and he accelerates the phase three in China three years earlier, and then you love the company and buy it three years later, are you happy he, had, he accelerated it, or would you have rather had your own strategy to enter that region? I think as long as we are following standard good practices, I don't see why not. Yeah. But I think the challenge for biotechs, and I'm, I'm going to be blunt, I mean, the challenge for biotechs is a lot of times that doesn't happen. You know, there are trials that are done without controls, things along those lines, and, you know, it's not translatable. As long as it's translatable and it meets our filters, then we don't have an issue with it. Yeah. Well, the reason people have always done these regional deals is because they didn't feel they had the competence in those regions. Uh, Michael would say he can arrange that. He can make it happen. <laughs> what does Santa? So say? can we. Yeah. 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 <laughs> to answer that point, though, most of the time, if we participate in Global Phase 3, the driver of the Global Phase 3 is the U.S. biotech or European biotech. But if you partner later after approval, then the local guys have to do it, or you will have to go back to China and do it yourself, or Japan. The beauty is that if you partner together, the innovator will drive it, we just help recruit. And of course, you have to check the box, make sure that we're doing the proper recruitment, et cetera. But that being said, you, we will be able to create MPV and help you commercialize much sooner. Yeah, so it's a slightly different equation for us because we are already there. Uh, we've been in China for 25 years uh, or, or more. Uh, we have a, a large presence. We have about 14, 15% of the market. And we do a lot of the stuff on the ground in China already. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, we would like to be expanding significantly in the next uh, uh, short term, very short term. And th the reason for that is what you just mentioned, because things have changed. Uh, they have joined ICH. Um, there is more a bigger medical class, uh, you, you know. Uh, so, so for us, you know, we can. I think this uh, this model would work, could work in partnership with Santan as well, um, uh, because and, and and somehow that can be configured. Uh, but we can take some of the local stuff that innovation coming out of Singapore, for example, and do it first. Uh, in, in that region, um, and then take it from there. And for the same reasons as was mentioned, is that if you do it in China, um, for China, then the rules are a little different, and, and you can expedite a few things. However, I will, in my view at least, um, uh, there are a lot of bumps still. And it's not as straightforward as it looks, and I think uh, it may still, as of today, I, in my opinion, uh, the fastest way to get in is uh, to make China part of a bigger development program. Yep. Uh, and that will save you a lot of time. But, but we would probably... Uh, We're going to end on the speed bumps because that's what everyone worries about. But Giovanni, I want to ask you as an investor, how often do you hear discussion at the boards of these smaller companies about entering China or Japan or... And, and, Oh, I think over, over the last three, four years, a lot, right? And and because as as you know, we've heard, it is becoming such an important market, right? And I think the point is, which which we'll get to, is always who do you trust to help you there, right? And that's you know, it, it's such a, a a different world and a different 
regulatory path and, and how you work with, with hospitals and clinical sites. So, um, you know, some of our late stage companies are having conversations about, you know, how do we try and create value there? Is it, do we take it? Do we do a joint venture? Um, do we just partner it with a local uh, company? And so those are all things that, uh, you know, six years ago probably you would say, yeah, maybe we can, you know, get do a deal and get 10 million non-dilutive. But I think now it is becoming more and more, um, you know, even as you start in clinical trials, uh, you know, your first clinical trial, it needs to be in the back of your mind moving towards the front. You know, how are we going to unlock that value there? Um, I think Japan is, is, I still see it as more classical in terms of, you know, partner that is a very specific market. Um, and there's great players there. So, so um, there's maybe more, if I can say, confidence in terms of when you hand that off, what's going to happen. But um, I think it's a very exciting time to be looking at, at China and maybe some of those neighboring countries as well. Yeah, I, I personally agree. I, I'm hearing it more and more, and it's really a question of retaining NV, NV, NPV versus the headache of, of, doing, to, of going with the unknown, because nobody here knows what Michael does or the other six firms that are looking to take assets into China. They don't know the teams. They don't know the, if the policy is going to change. They don't know if the IP is an issue. Whereas we figured Novartis, Alcon, Santan, they know. They've been doing it for 50 years, but they're going to take a big piece of the pie for that. Uh, for that but, security. But I think uh, it, it links with the earlier question in terms of where we think innovation is going to come, right? I think science is it's here in the US, it's in Europe, it's in China, it's in Japan. The science is there. That's not, you know, maybe there'll be a bit more, a bit less. That's not really changing. I think what is, what is happening is where the people that get things done are moving, right? And, and somehow China has made it very attractive to for people that have been trained outside to come back to China. There's a lot of capital, uh, and that's why I think we're seeing a lot of activity there, because, I, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's really happened since a lot of experienced people have moved back. And I think once there's recycling of those people within China, then you're probably gonna see, you know, a big boom, just like you've seen Boston do that, because the aggregation of experience is so condensed. Um, you know, in Europe, we're lagging a bit behind because there's been less success story recycling, right? These companies just, successful ones love to keep going, um, and, and the smaller ones maybe don't go far enough to, to get enough experience to, to really, um, uh, you know, catalyze more. Good. Uh, I, I'd like to continue this discussion for another half an hour, but we are out of time. I wanted to thank the panelists. I wanted to thank everyone who stayed to the very end here. You do have a, an Alcon-sponsored reception to reward you for your, your uh, diligence and hard work. So please uh, join us outside again. Thank you so much uh, for joining us today. Thanks for listening to this episode and stay tuned for more valuable insights from the movers and shakers in ophthalmology. 